If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest mentor of the week is business futurist Joyce Joyer. Through consulting, speaking, and training, Joyce helps clients position themselves for success in the future. She served clients on six continents and in 43 states. She's the president of the Herman Group, a firm serving a wide range of corporate, trade associations, and government clients nationally and internationally. In addition to being one of my longtime National Speakers Association colleagues, Joyce is the co-author of five books and compiles the popular weekly Herman Trend Alert. She's often quoted in the national media as someone who not only knows what's coming, but can effectively communicate that future. Specifically, she's been quoted in Industry Week, the Christian Science Monitor, Entrepreneur Magazine, Business Week, the Wall Street Journal, and on National Public Radio. I'm excited to welcome my friend and colleague to the show. So Joyce, thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Susan, change is just happening so quickly that everybody needs to be aware of how to stay on top of the trends. It's just so important. And that's why I'm thrilled to be with you here and with your listeners here today to talk about how to stay ahead of the curve. Nothing is more important for anyone in business, whether you're a speaker or an author or a small business person, or even someone in corporate America. It's so important to stay on top of the trends. Because if you don't, clearly, under these circumstances, you're going to be left behind. Great. I mean, you even preempted any questions, so I love it, Joyce. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a futurist talking. So, (laughs) Joyce... You specialize in helping people understand future trends in business, and I know our listeners would enjoy learning a few of the most important future trends that authors and small business owners need to know about. There's demographic trends that are happening that are very important, particularly for speakers to understand. 20 years ago, most of our audiences were baby boomers. And now it's very unusual not to have millennials in our audiences. And if you're speaking to, in fact, the frontline workers, now you've even got Generation Z in your audience. So it's really important for speakers and for others to understand what are the values and attitudes of those different generations. Because each generation has its own set of values and attitudes and aspirations and Things that they value are 
what people make decisions based on. So it's really important to understand that when you're speaking to a mixed audience, and that's what happens most often now, you need to have messages for the baby boomers as well as the Generation Xs and the Generation Ys, who are the millennials, and even maybe the Generation Z. And if you're really lucky and you're an employer, the Generation Zs are fantastic. So that preempts the question, okay, let's <laughs> talk about some of those aspirations and values that we need to know about. Do you want to start with the baby boomers? Uh, so at this point in time, many of the baby boomers are looking toward retirement, but the chances are they don't want to really hang up their spurs. And why? Because we define ourselves by our work. Ask me how I'm feeling, and I'll tell you how my work is going. That's the baby boomers. And that's why folks like me have no intention whatsoever of ever stopping working. And by the way, that is of great frustration to the Generation Xers who are not able to move up in the ranks because the baby boomers are just hanging on. Now, the smart thing for companies is to give the baby boomers opportunities to do phased retirement, to retire, but in phases, in phases that don't make them feel like they're second-class citizens, that still value their contributions. As speakers, when we're talking to audiences, we need to understand that that is a dynamic that's going on. Now, the Generation Xers have been frustrated for years, and not only because of this aspect, but because they always felt like, because they were told this, that they would never have a life that was as good as their parents. In fact, that is not necessarily true at all. I know that because I have two Generation X daughters who are doing just great. Thank you very much. It's really gratifying that some of the Generation Xers have been able to move beyond those supposed understandings and create their own futures. Then the next generation is the Millennials. And the Millennials have this really bad reputation as being lazy and being not interested in working, and they want to leave on the stroke of five o'clock. Well, you need to understand when you're speaking to millennials, what really turns them on and makes them excited. And that is something that they feel that they really want to get behind. So they will work really hard for their employers if that employer gives them something that they really feel good. It makes them feel good and they can make a difference in the lives of someone. And even if it's making a difference in the lives of their fellow workers, that's really what's important to them. Then we get to the generation Zers. And these are the young people who are like 19 to 24 these days. And they are now in our workplace. So now we don't only have four generations in our workplace, Susan. We have five generations, <laughs> something we never thought would happen. But it is a reality. But these young people are just amazing. 
because they have all of the positive attributes of the millennials. They're creative, they're smart, they're street smart, yet they don't have, in fact, in some cases, for millennials who had helicopter parents, they're even more street smart than the millennials. But the good news is they know that they have to get their tickets punched. They are patient. They know they can't start. There's a joke about the millennials that they're fully prepared to give employers their all to rise to the top as long as they can start out two rungs from the top because their expectations are way out of line. That is not so with the Generation Zers. The Generation Zers recognize that they must get the training. They must get that experience before they're going to be ready to move into the higher levels in our organizations. And they're also more polite, which is interesting. It's less common to see a Generation Zer sit in an interview and text than it is to see a millennial sit in an interview and text. How interesting. That's fascinating. Yes. I often say that Generation Z is God's gift to employers. And from the point of view of the listeners here, it's very important to understand these are the issues that your clients who hire you to come and speak and write books, these are the issues that they are dealing with right now. What about future thinking? Something, I don't know if that's a term that you coined, but uh, what, uh, talk to uh, us about that. I don't think that. I coined it. I, there was a, a Jane, somebody way back when, who did a, a book on future thinking. What I do is I connect the dots. I see something going on in one industry, something going on in another industry. It might be related or not related. And I can connect those two things and see that means that, that the world is going in a particular direction. What that means is that it allows me to stay ahead of the curve. And then I communicate that in my Herman Trend Alert. And my Herman Trend Alert goes out to 29,000 people in 87 countries in four languages every week. Uh, people can sign up for it at www.hermantrendalert.com in any of the languages, actually. For example, last week, I wrote about the fact that millennials are not taking their vacation days as much as you would think that they would. Life-work balance is very, very important to them. And yet, they fear taking those vacation days, either because their jobs won't be there when they get back, which I think is more of a baby boomer trait. You know, it's almost a shameful thing to take your vacation. But what we're going to be seeing in that regard is that employers are going to find out that their millennials are going to get burned out and they're going to send them on those vacations so that they don't get burned out, so that they can, you know, stay alert, productive, and optimize what they can contribute, optimize the contribution to the organization. It's really interesting because I know I see so many people who are stressed out and 
as you say, who are frightened to take their vacation because of the fear of not having a job when they come back. So that's really interesting, maybe for some of our listeners to even hone in on that kind of thinking, and maybe they can address it when they speak to organizations. Yes, for sure. And they should take a look at those trends. They can start with my archive, which is uh, available on that same website, www.hermantrendalert.com, and, and do a search on vacations, millennials. In this case, it's leisure, which is that they're combining business and leisure. That's what the millennials are doing. <laughs> we baby boomers have been doing that for years. My late partner, Roger, may he rest in peace, used to call it working vacations. And we never took vacations that weren't working vacations. That's my favorite kind. I recently came back from Macau where I did some work for a, a hotelier there. My being on your show is an opportunity for people to look at whether they are making sure that they're keeping up with what's happening in the world. And one of the other ways that they can keep up is to subscribe to Flipboard. I was introduced to Flipboard by my husband, my current husband, who watches Flipboard all the time. He is really good at identifying trends that I need to know about. So not only do I subscribe to Flipboard for some of my areas, but he subscribes to Flipboard for me in other areas. So he's keeping track of those as well. What about yes. connecting the dots? You talked about that's something that you're very good at. It's a skill that I don't know if that's something that you've learned over the years or it was inherent when you were born. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, this is kind of interesting. I became a futurist because back in the 70s and 80s, I'm aging now <laughs> fast, I discovered that if I could tell my clients what was coming, that made me a very, very special person and they would always take my calls. They would always take my meetings. They knew that I was a, a source for important information that they could use to make better business decisions. And when we look at the implications of changes that are happening, and this is all changes that are happening. For instance, uh, right now, there's Hurricane Matthew that is just about to hit the East Coast of the United States. So what does that mean for real estate, for those who are real estate speakers, for housing, for emergency preparedness, for climate change? You know, every time I write about climate change, someone from my 29,000 or more subscribers contacts me and says, you are misguided. You just don't understand. You've been taken in. <laughs> but my husband, who spent 25 years working for NOAA, you know, the weather people, said 97% of the climate scientists get that there's really something happening out there. And the other 3% live in Texas, which, by the way, happens to be where I currently reside. Climate change is happening. It is affecting all of us in many, many ways. 
looking at the implications of the different things that are happening in the news, that is a really good place to start to practice future thinking. So really just taking an event, as you say, a news event, something that's topical, and looking at outside of the box, what's it going to affect? Who's it going to affect? How's it going to affect them? So uh, I think that's uh, something that I don't believe many people do. So that's a great skill to practice because, like you said, people come to you, take your calls because you're a thought leader. And I think so many of the people listening here really would like to be seen as thought leaders in their industry. What are your thoughts on becoming a thought leader? Well, if they can begin to write about the future of whatever industry they're niched in, that's going to give them a leg up on everyone else. Because what that means is, like me, they will be helping people make better decisions. And that's a direct route for people to gain that position of thought leadership. I have people contacting me from all over the world when I write my Herman Trend Alert, because it it goes out in 87 countries. And not only that, but there's a website in Hong Kong called Four Hoteliers that picks up all of my travel and entrepreneur trend alerts. And as a result, I got contacted by a consultant in Macau. He was responsible for my engagement by the hotelier in Macau recently. When you are a thought leader, it really helps you in a lot of ways. I can see that. I can see how important you become in that industry. And it certainly helps you stand out from the crowd because I know you're not the only futurist out there, but the visibility that you get, especially from your Herman Trend Alert, which I believe is a free publication. Is that correct? It is. Yes. 100% free. Yes. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. You have had several bestsellers in the past. and (laughs) Yes, three out of five ain't bad, right? (laughs) Not bad at all. Not bad at all. That's a good batting average. So how did you accomplish that? Well, there were three main ways. One was, you know, everybody wants to get into airport bookstores. And at that time, airport bookstores, they were tough to get into, but they were easier than today. What we would do at that point was we would call the airport bookstore manager and we would say, we're flying through Atlanta on XYZ day and we would like to, and by the way, I got the uh, manager's cards when I was flying through Atlanta the month before, right? And so I would say, let's do a book signing. I have this book. It's a terrific book. It's selling well. Let's do a book signing and I'll send you the books. And when I'm flying through Atlanta, we'll schedule a book signing. And since I knew that I was going to be flying through Atlanta again, it worked out really well. And rarely did I have to bring the books. They would order the books through the channels and then the books would be there. I showed up. I did a book signing. We sold probably four or five books at the time, which was pretty good under the circumstances. And then I signed the rest of them and went on my way. And 
they would have ordered like 12 books and it would give us airport visibility, which is very important even today. The second way is reverse shoplifting. Uh, Reverse shoplifting was something that one of our authors, we used to own a publishing company and it was called Oak Hill Press and we published books for like 11 different authors, mostly speakers. One of our guys came up with this idea where he would bring four or five books and all of his books were paperbacks. So they weren't that, it wasn't that expensive to do this. And he would stick them on the shelf of an airport bookstore. And when they sold out of them, which they invariably did, they would order more. (laughs) And that's how he ended up getting into airport bookstores. I don't know if you could do that today. I haven't tried it recently, but it's an interesting idea. It's a great concept. I love the idea. Reverse shoplifting. Reverse shoplifting. (laughs) And it's not like you're taking anything from anybody because you're actually giving them, well, you're giving them revenue. And if, if your book sells for even $6 each and it's fine, you're giving them $30 in revenue. Who would object to that, right? Then there were, at the time, book clubs. So one of our publications actually was picked up by three different book clubs. It was Lean and Meaningful, A New Culture for Corporate America. And it was the Executive Book Club, the Training Book Club, and the CEO Book Club. There were three different ones. I believe none of those exists today. But that helped us a lot because then the book sold thousands of copies at a pop. Then the other thing we did, and this still exists today, is to establish a relationship with 800 CEO Read. And they have a relationship with a number of companies where they have private branded websites for those companies where people can buy books from them through this intranet website. So those are the four ways that we were able to achieve bestseller status for three of our titles. One was Impending Crisis, Too Many Jobs, Too Few People. Second was How to Become an Employer of Choice. And then the the first one actually in chronological order was Lean and Meaningful. It's fascinating. He has some mm-hmm. very different approaches, which I really like. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I believe you have a TV show. Uh, yes. T- tell us how it's, that came it debuted, about. <laughs> it debuts the first week in November on Austin Public TV. And it's called Looking Forward. And I'm interviewing fellow futurists and others about what is the future of their area. I'm going to have on the guys who developed the Illumi light bulb which was on Shark Tank. They are kind of the future of lighting. I had uh, someone talking about the future of communication. I'm having uh, someone uh, or selling the future, actually. I'm going to have someone uh, talk about wild cards, which are fascinating. So it's, it's going to be very interesting and people can find it. I can't exactly tell you when it, that series is going to be listed this particular two months, November and December, but I do know it's going to be on Austin Public and it's going to be the first week in November. So tell us how you went about getting that, because I know many of our listeners you know, are eager to maybe have a radio or a TV show. How did this come about for you? About 17 months ago, 
I took a four-day course called Celebrity Launchpad. And the very astute, brilliant trainer who does that course is named Clint Arthur. Clint is, it could be um, characterized as a slave driver at times, but the important thing is that he does get results. And 17 months later, I have done 54 local and national television appearances, including the Today Show. As a result of having been in class, one of my classmates, a woman named Vivian Gaspar, who is actually in New Jersey and has her own show called Stop My Crisis, decided that she was going to do her own TV show. And so she went to Princeton Public Television, and she has her own television show. And as a result of having been on Vivian's show, I said, well, maybe there's public television in Austin as well. And it turns out that in Austin, we don't just have one station. We have three. Of course, it's Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. We have one that's dedicated to music, one that's dedicated to spiritual endeavors, including religion, and one that's dedicated to information. And it's number 10 in Austin, and that's the one that my show, Looking Forward, is going to be on. It has been quite an odyssey to learn all about the nuts and bolts of lighting and makeup for television and teleprompters. And, and all of these things. And it has just been very exciting and a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. And I believe that this could be the next thing, the next big thing for me to have my own television show. Well, wish you lots of luck with it. How about mistakes people make in adopting or adapting future the trends? Biggest, the biggest mistake that people make is to see a fad and jump on it and believe that it's going to last. It's hard to try to characterize the process of determining whether something is a fad or something is enduring. Let me give you an example. I think that the popularity of the Kardashians is a fad, but the idea of a celebrity family being in the spotlight and followed by millions of people is not. And that is more like a long-term trend. We can see it as we have seen the frenzy over celebrity status get stronger over the course of the years. We know that that is a long-term trend. Whereas something perhaps in fashion, something perhaps in terms of television, many people thought that reality TV was going to be a fad. But it in fact has not been in part because the producers have found a way to formulaically create these shows that touch people's particular buttons. And typically, these are people who have less education, who would watch, for instance, Survivor before they would watch Rachel Maddow. And they really understand 
how to work with the neuroscience of what's going on in people's brains as they watch. And I believe that that's one of the major areas that we should pay attention to in the future, particularly as speakers, is looking at the neuroscience. One of our colleagues, Christine Comerford, writes about how to leverage neuroscience. And I think that that's part of why she is now writing for Forbes and why she's been very popular as a professional speaker is that she's got her finger on the pulse of this new area that's going to be extremely important for many of us, whether you're a marketer, marketing a book or a product or service, or a speaker selling your message to an audience, taking advantage of what's going on in people's brains is one of the key trends that people can leverage for themselves. So tell us the difference between a fad and a trend. How do you distinguish between the two? It's really hard to determine it, but typically fads are shorter lived and trends are over a longer period of time. You can do an internet search for an area that you think might be a fad versus a trend and see what's the long-term attention that this has gotten versus short-term. What's the best way for our listeners to contact you, Joyce? They can give you my cell phone. It's 336-210-3548. Again, that's 336-210-3548. And whenever you leave a number, when you're leaving a message for a prospective client, always say your number twice. Or they can email me at Joyce at hermangroup.com. You'll be able to stay ahead of the curve when you sign up for my Herman trend alert. <laughs> You've said that one a number of times before, I think. Yeah. <laughs> On television, no less. <laughs> That's a great soundbite. If you could leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? Invest in staying ahead of the curve. It will pay off in huge rewards for you in the attention that you'll get, as well as the acclaim that you will be able to earn. Thank you. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book-selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com. And we'll see you again next week 